God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Yes and amen. But wouldn't God also be glorified in us if we were just minions, his slavish laborers? It's a question from a listener named Gage. Pastor John, hello. I just finished reading the first chapter of your book, Desiring God. After the introduction, I was fired up to read more about Christian hedonism and already felt as if I could call your book a paradigm-shifting book for me. Uh, My confusion hit when I began reading about the happiness of God. As you describe the chief end of God, I didn't find myself in disbelief. If God's chief end is to glorify himself, that is absolutely believable. Where I am awestruck is the fact that his glorification is his chief end, and yet he still doesn't require us to live by works to satisfy him. But my question is this, why is it that with God, his chief end being to glorify himself, doesn't require us to slave away in works. Couldn't he be just as glorified in us if we were tireless slaves for him? Pastor John, what would you say? Couldn't he be just as glorified in us if we were tireless slaves for him? And the answer to that question is easy and clear. No. Yeah, right. (laughs) He could not be just as glorified. But the best way to come at a question like this is not first to dig into the nature of God to explain why this is so. That's what I was frankly tempted to do, because it's not hard to do, and it's glorious to do it. But I think first is to dig into Scripture to show that this is so not just why it is so, that he does not seek tireless slaves for him, because that will yield, I think, uh, a more biblically sound and solid answer than if we try to jump over concrete texts and just jump to the nature of an all-sufficient God to argue why he doesn't need slave labor. So let's, let's do that. There will be clear answers to the question why God is more glorified when we receive power and blessing from him rather than receiving slave labor from him. Those answers are coming. But even if we couldn't answer the question, why? The why question, it's crucial that we submit to the teaching of Scripture that it is so. He doesn't need and doesn't use slave labor. He's, he, he abhors the idea of being served as a slave who provides the poor needy plantation owner with the labor that he's lacking. God does get more glory from our serving freely by faith in his enabling power than providing needed slave labor. So let's look at a few passages and then circle back to the why question, why he would be more glorified this way than than by tireless slave labor. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever serves, let him serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So God gets the glory because God gave the strength. So the giver gets the glory. If we were the giver 
of slave slave labor. And God were the needy plantation owner dependent on us, then we would get the glory, our power and our wisdom and our resourcefulness providing his need. That's the gist of the argument in 1 Peter 4.11. Here's 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, 11 and 12. We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill, get this, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his Power. So God fulfills our good resolves to serve God, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. So God is glorified because he fulfills every good resolve and work of faith. We don't provide his slave labor. He provides our strength to give any labor. That's why he gets the glory, according to 2 Thessalonians 1, 12. Here's Acts 17, 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So God's glory is such that he is not and cannot be served as though he needed anything, especially slave labor. He's the giver of all, not the receiver. And then Romans eleven thirty four and 35. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Answer, nobody. Nobody counsels God. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives God advice that he doesn't already know. Verse 35. Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? Answer, nobody. You can't negotiate or barter with God. You can't ever put him in your debt. He already has everything. If you give him anything, you're giving him what he already owns. So, verse 36, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. So, he gets glory because nobody can give him anything that he doesn't first give to us. For for. All is from him and through him and to him. The giver gets the glory. So God's way of saving us is by faith in his initiative and his gift and his empowerment. It is decisively from him, through him, to him, beginning to end. And so Paul says of Abraham in Romans 4.20, Abraham grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Faith in God's promises of provision is how we glorify God, not by showing that we have resources for slave labor in ourselves to contribute to God's faltering labor force. Mm. So Jesus says to his disciples, No longer do I call you slaves. Not going to call you that. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And he makes clear that his glory consists 
in his being the giver, not the taker. John 14, 13, whatever you ask, 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 (laughs) not give, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So God is glorified by being rich, resourceful, all-providing as our giver Father. So here's the answer to the question. Couldn't God be just as glorified in us if we were tireless slaves for him? No, because having slaves shows a few glories. Some wealth to purchase the slaves, some power to coerce the service, some wisdom to secure the investment. So there's a kind of glory for the slave master, but the fullness of God's glory would never be shown this way. His grace, his mercy, his patience, his kindness would not shine that way. God knows that he is seen to be more glorious when the beauty of all of his perfections bind us to him, not with chains, but with cherishing, not with coercion, but with contentment, not because he's a tyrant, but because he's a treasure that we won't leave. He's not a tyrant that we can't leave. He's a treasure that we won't leave, and therefore he gets way more glory that way than if he operated by coercion that we had to fulfill against our delights. No, God would not get more glory from a tireless slave labor force. He gets more glory. He gets glory by being so beautiful in his character and in his ways that we are bound to him not because we are held in jail, but because we are held by joy. Amen. That is a beautiful word. Thank you, Pastor John. And thank you for joining us today. If you have not subscribed to Ask Pastor John, consider doing so in your favorite podcast app, in YouTube or in Spotify. And for our episode archive or to submit a question of your own, go to desiringgod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. Well, how do we put off vengeance and retribution and getting even with those who have sinned against us? In other words, how do we keep our sanity in a world that will hurt us deeply? Pastor John has an important word for us next time to answer this very question. That's up next. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you back here on Wednesday.